0: I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships? Motorcycles? Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of the world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day,
1: I got in. We just dashed into the office and by we for change i don't mean uh paul and i paul is not here paul's in fairbanks i feel like i just need to have a paul's in fairbanks sign for all the times that paul is in fairbanks i hope he likes it there paul where are you who i do have with me though is jason collins jason works at a local architectural firm and he is an energy wizard what's involved in being an energy wizard Jason. I just invented that title, but it, it you should like, adopt it.
0: Well, very good. Thanks for having me. You um, bet. An energy wizard spends much too much of his free time just thinking about energy use and where all our electricity and energy is going, um, whether it be watching a movie, uh, <laughs> looking at something on, online, or... Um, As I
1: am right now, yeah, yes.
0: Or walking over to the building.
1: So walking over to the building, how, how does that...
0: Oh, just people, right? Okay. You know, we're producing energy, using energy to um, produce that energy and, and um, eating in order to walk, right?
1: Okay. So before I delve into this a bit further, give us a little bit of background on yourself. What do you do? And, um, and I, my concept of what you do right now is that you're an architect. And that you work. Uh, part of your work is in energy efficiency, and you seem to be quite well known for that among in certain circles. How did you come to be working on that, and what's your expertise in that area?
0: Right. So I am an architect. I work at a, um, Wolf Architecture here in Palmer, and we also do energy audits. Uh, I started out doing energy ratings with Alaska Housing. Um, did a lot more work um, with residential prior to doing commercial, and since that time, I've really. Um, grown more and more into focusing on commercial energy use, we use a lot more energy within commercial buildings. There's a lot more square footage and larger appliances and equipment within commercial buildings.
1: That, that makes sense. And um, you do, so is it primarily energy audits that you do, or you also design buildings for using that energy?
0: Right. So working on existing buildings, working on retrofits, working on new buildings, and looking at what we would assume the building's energy use is going to be based on the type of building, the equipment in it, um, the occupants and how they might use it, and then how we can reduce that energy use before the occupants even take, uh, uh, take on the building.
1: Sure. So one of the reasons that I wanted to have you, Jason, on was because the other day you and I had a conversation uh, somewhat randomly about uh, whether or not you could turn your server off during the night. And that inspired a whole line of thought for me of the fact that, realistically, I work on computers every day, I deal with computers every day, and and if someone asked me about the energy usage of a computer, I could probably speak in very broad terms. But I actually have no real concept of how much my laptop or my Mac Mini or my desktop or whatever it is is sucking out of the wall. And how much power they 're actually using, so uh, how much power are we using? should we actually pay attention? I mean we see for example, my uh, my previous desktop computer i 'd like to say took two hundred and forty watts when it was just sitting there and running sure what, how, do, how do I actually put a concept on that? How does that going to matter to me? I mean what does what I guess what is that going to boil down to me in terms of cost or how does that relate to other appliances that I have in my building?
0: So a a good example to kind of a thing that people like to have in their mind or can associate really easily is an incandescent light bulb, right? Mm -hmm. And your typical light bulb is a 75 or 100 watt. And so you think about that computer being on 250 watts and you're talking about two or three light bulbs on um, whenever that computer was on. So if you left it on all the time without a sleep mode, it's like leaving on three incandescent light bulbs all the time. And... In general, most folks are not going to leave those light bulbs on, right? You tend to try and turn light bulbs off. Most of us, yes. Um, With uh, a lot of the current technology, when we get into laptops, laptops use significantly less um, energy than a a desktop, a CPU. They have a lot less um, uh, cooling requirement as well, Mm -hmm. and so you don't have the larger fans. The newer computers tend to use a lot less energy and so um, and have a lot more energy saving features like uh, sleep functions and um, the phantom loads basically when they go into sleep are a much, much lower um, load. Phantom loads are basically when whenever an appliance is not on, when it's um, say like a TV, when you turn your TV off by the remote, you still are able to turn the TV back on by the remote, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that the appliance is still on, able to receive a signal from a battery-operated remote. Sure. So it's still using right. I guess a, I
1: had not thought about that a lot, but that makes perfect sense.
0: So it needs to be able to trigger it, right? Basically, it needs to be able to kick that back on. The old-style old, old style appliances actually had a pretty high wattage, and so it was like having a light bulb on even when your appliance was off. Um, the the current ones, the Energy Star uh, rated and, and better appliances, are actually doing a lot better job of keeping a really low wattage, not necessarily zero, but, you know, five watts, seven watts. So
1: is that what Energy Star means? I mean, because realistically, when I look at a product and it says Energy Star, to me, all that says is, oh, it does not use as much energy as, say, the Energy black hole rating i, I you know I, again i don 't really actually have a scale to know what it means or, or what it stands for, so is that primarily just energy efficiency in general or with products is it also or with appliances? does it also mean how much does it take when it 's asleep or you know, yeah, what energy phantom what, what its phantom load is
0: Energy Star is looking at a number of different appliances and, um, and electronic devices, and basically they 're looking at a broad range of applications for the phantom loads the overall energy load for throughout the year the energy load when that item is on um, refrigerators uh, stoves uh, my- microwaves are not typically rated by energy star but TVs computers um is that a lot because of because our- a
1: microwave just could not possibly in any way get an energy star or
0: it, some of the things they just haven't gone into the research on. Okay. Some of them also use a significant amount of power no matter what. Right. right? And so,
1: so wait, does that mean I should unplug my microwave when I'm not using it?
0: Well, you could. I mean, it's got a, a clock on it, right? Right. So that clock is drawing power. <laughs> That's the majority of the, the, low, or the lower okay. voltage or lower yeah. wattage is being drawn from that. But, you know, it's still an electric clock, so it's probably got a, a 1 to 5 watt draw.
1: So, and actually, before we go any further, as always, I like to note to people that uh, you can call in to the show and ask Jason questions. You can also email questions at help at jam.net. To call in, you need to first get in touch with me so that I can verify you're a real-life human being and not a slavering maniac. So to do that, you have to uh, either text me at 841-7368 with your name and number so I can give you a number to call. Or you can leave a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash outofajam. And again, that number is 841-7368. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions for Jason or uh, if you have any questions for me. I don't see why you would, but hey, You never know. So give us a call if you can. And Jason, the question I was going to ask you was, okay, laptop draws a certain amount of energy. Do I actually need to be concerned about that now? So two years ago, even three years ago, the amount of energy that a laptop or a desktop, which most of us had four years ago, say, was probably significant. But since they've reduced the amount of energy they take, what would be your argument for me making sure my computer's asleep, not just on it all the time, or not plugged into the wall all the time, or should I worry about that?
0: They have gotten a lot more energy efficient, so that you don't need to worry about how much energy it's actually drawing. It's, it's relatively minor in the big picture, but at the same time, why would you leave it on if you're not going to use it? Right? Because it
1: shows how rich I am in energy. Well, yeah. there you go.
0: <laughs> and that's actually a really good, um, good point, because we, we do tend to feel privileged uh, or or not privileged entitled, but entitled. Yeah. yeah. With our utility usage, we walk into a building or a room and we expect to be able to turn on lights, to plug in our appliances, to use our laptop. I mean, even Wi-Fi, right? We right. expect to walk into most buildings now and and get Wi-Fi, right? Definitely. So,
1: it's when you're designing a building, do you have to account for that the the, the number of routers in the building, the the you know whether or not it's trying to provide Wi-Fi to everyone there. Or is that a pretty negligible load? I mean, we're going to talk about servers in a little bit. But I hadn't even thought about that. What about routers? That They, they certainly draw energy. I mean, larger, more industrial routers have fans.
0: Yeah. That, that load is actually a relatively minor compared to the server load. Sure. But, um, yeah, we, we do a little bit of design for that, in, especially in larger office-type facilities. Um, usually it's a secondary designer or a consultant that's doing stuff mm-hmm. like that. But, um yeah, your primary loads are, are more going to be your, your servers. And then you think about every item within a building, right? How many computers are in an office? How many of those have monitors? How many have um, uh, a uh A printer attached to it how many have a a specialized phone system or or some other device there and when you walk around offices you very frequently find you know electric uh uh, heaters little fans um, microwaves again mini fridges and so think about every person within that office you got a hundred person office all of a sudden you're if you're all on cpus that are 250 watts or even the newer ones that are 125 That's times 100.
1: Okay, so I have a power adapter here. This is 85 watts. Mm -hmm. How do I know if, let's say, this is plugged in 24-7, it's basically, and it's not actually, but it's my primary computer, it's plugged in 24-7, how do I calculate, or how do I know what that ends up being in cost for me?
0: So the 85 watts is most likely when it's it's at full load, full capacity, and it probably is not pulling full load all the time. Um, But there's some great tools you can... Uh, get a watt meter, mm-hmm. which is basically a, an, a device that plugs into your outlet, then you plug your adapter into it, and it will measure how much wattage, how much electricity it's using. You can actually just enter in how much your electricity costs per kilowatt hour, and it'll tell you how much it costs you to run your computer for however long you've so had it plugged in. do you in.
1: know what our cost per kilowatt water hour is here in the Valley?
0: Sure, with MEA, it's right now I think it's 14.5 cents.
1: So fourteen point five cents, and how? Would, so how would I calculate that? I've got. Eight, let's just, for argument's sake, say sixty watts is what I'm drawing on average. Because actually, the computer can run on a sixty-five watt power adapter. The battery just charges very, very slowly. So, so say sixty-five watts, and so that would be fourteen point five cents an hour. Is that correct?
0: Right, but you're going to do. So you're going to do uh, the sixty or sixty-five times. And say you want to know how much that's going to be for the entire year, Mm -hmm. right? So 65 times 24. Okay. Times 365 days a year.
1: 365. That's 569,400.
0: And then you're going to, that's watts, right, for the entire year. Yep. So you're going to divide that by 1,000. Okay. Because you're dealing with kilowatts.
1: 569.4. 569.4.
0: And then multiply that by four, .146. 146.
1: 8,313.24. That doesn't sound I good. think I did the. This is why I don't use math. Oh, uh, all right Oh, did I, did I? Was I supposed to divide that? I was, wasn't I? Yep. Yep, I multiplied it. Well. <laughs> See, yep. we could, I could be running the economy right now, <laughs> and our budget would be. Doing great, or or really really badly, depending on your perspective, I suppose.
0: You're just off by a, f- a couple of factors of uh, ten.
1: <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll we'll do that again in a second, so people don't have to listen to me over and. Over. Well, hold on, hold on, I can do that. Let's see, sixty-five times twenty-four. This is how fast I can use a calculator. Uh, times three hundred sixty-five.
0: Yep. Times, times three sixty-five.
1: Five hundred and sixty nine thousand four hundred, right? And then divided by a thousand. Yep. Divided by a thousand. And then divided by fourteen point six, right? No, then times point one four six. Times point one four. That's right, I went wrong. Okay. Eighty three dollars and thirteen cents.
0: Which is not that significant.
1: No, but it's $83 in a year, Mm -hmm. one could argue. And so if I'm going to consider my laptop as being insignificant, and it's 60-watt load, and let's say we take a TV and a microwave and maybe an iPad and an iPhone and a portable speaker set and another laptop within my household, we're probably going to creep up to the $200 range or even $300 range per year.
0: Sure. And and that's all the items that are on that we're very aware of. You know, mm-hmm. it's like having your laptop on is very much like having your light switch thrown where you have a light bulb on you can see it being used. Um, there's a lot that we get into where I mentioned phantom loads before, you know, like the TV and the remote where um, a lot of chargers, if the charger, if you turn off your computer or disconnect it from the charger and the charger very warm, mm-hmm. it's still pulling a load. So stuff like that, um, uh, GFIs, the fault interrupter uh, outlets. Lights,
1: outputs. What are those for?
0: So that's basically, it's set up so that it will trip. If it senses a break in the current to the hairdryer that you've just dropped okay, in the so bathtub. Okay, so that's why they
1: put them in a, and frequently they will put them in a bathroom. Wet
0: areas, right. Right, right. In kitchens and around bathrooms. So those so, draw
1: additional power.
0: Yep. And those can draw anywhere from one to five watts. If you've mm-hmm. got an older one, um, make sure that everything kind of is off, or it's a quiet, it's a quiet time of the day, or something like that. Put your ear up to a GFI; it actually hums. Oh. So it they actually have, and you can imagine like the calculation that we just did mm-hmm. with your 65 watt um, charger. If you've got five watts, it's it's significantly less than the charger, but you're paying all that money for. Uh, outlet that's really seldom used
1: right just hanging out there
0: but you need it for safety
1: you you quickly add just so not everybody doesn't run and get their gfis out of the wall right (laughs) probably fry themselves with a toaster in the shower or or something like that
0: but when we start to really look at our energy use and try and really uh, tighten our belt on it if you can switch that outlet Mm -hmm. so that only it's only a newer one or have it on a pilot light or a, okay. a switch so that you can actually switch that outlet on when you need to use it.
1: Oh, that's So cool. that it's not
0: going to pull that phantom load.
1: And you can do that. You, yeah. could, you could get a wall outlet that you just attach instead of your regular wall outlet and switch the GFI on when you want it.
0: Really similar to um, a power strip with a switch on it for your TV sure. or your entertainment center. So,
1: okay, that... That begs a question. We're, we're talking about laptops and we're talking about GFIs and, and all these little devices that an aggregate might, you know, save you X dollars per year. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen that happen? Someone take their house and really just assess every single item in there and how much it's taking and cut it down and what the result was? Like, oh, did their power bill drop noticeably or is it more a a – Satisfaction of knowing that you're not paying additional money or using any more additional energy than you have to. But have you ever seen de- someone do that with their house?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and and we've done it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the Alaska Housing Authority and all. Um, uh, ACAP, Alaska Center for Appropriate Technology, um, Alaska Craftsman Home Program—they've all done some really great programs of energy efficiency and reducing your energy use in the home. Right, our easiest course to reducing energy is to use less. So sure. energy efficiency is step number one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for our in our case, it's—I've heard really similar stories as to ours as well. Um, really, it's going around with something like a watt meter, or even before you get to a watt meter, going around finding those chargers, those plug loads that actually aren't being used, Mm -hmm. and unplugging them, right? You're not using that charger to unplug it. Um, The second step is using things like power strips on your entertainment center and your computer station. You can get the automated ones where if you have a a CPU plugged into it or your main um, draw for the, the power strip, plugged into a one outlet it then senses when that cpu or that tv is turned off and turns off everything else plugged into that strip right so it's a smart power strip right the normal power strip just has a switch and if you've got a switch with a little light on it
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you turn off the lights when you're done watching a movie you see that little light on the power strip it's just a reminder turn off the power strip
1: interesting Kill sure.
0: those phantom loads right so by doing that and starting to change over your basic incandescent lights to cfls you can cut your electricity use in half
1: wow really so,
0: yeah the average and the average a kilowatt hour per day for the valley is 26 kilowatt hours okay right so you can drop that to 13 all of a sudden and
1: right. that's what you guys did or
0: yep or, wow and so that's cutting your electricity bill in half
1: so you cut your electricity bill in half just by making sure that stuff that did not, you didn't want to be running at the time was not running at the time. Plus, right. I'm assuming, would, was that including changing things to be more efficient like light bulbs and so forth? Or was that just by turning things off?
0: Turning things off and light bulbs. Okay. And the light bulbs are a relatively inexpensive one, you know, especially with just compact fluorescents.
1: Is that what you're using? Yep. So why aren't you using LEDs versus compact, compact fluorescents? The expense? Or?
0: A lot of it is expense. A lot of it is LEDs are kind of a wild west frontier still. <laughs> but there's more and more good products out there, and so you can start to look at those um, outside or areas where it's really hard to reach those light bulbs. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you really have to play around with the manufacturers to to really test those light bulbs. Just as with, like, compact fluorescent, you can buy lots of bad light bulbs.
1: So bad in... How much energy they draw or bad in the light that they give?
0: Light output, how quickly they come on, mm. color. Mm-hmm. There's um, the, a Kelvin rating, a color temperature on light bulbs. Sure. And so if you get a really blue or what we um, they label as daylight bulbs, um, daylight is very blue. If you walk outside, there's a great blue, big blue sky that's right. refracting uh, light back down. Absolutely. And so we tend to think, oh, I'll be much happier in daylight, right? Uh, it's it's usually the bluest light bulbs, and they're very kind of harsh in the space.
1: Why – is there any – this is totally kind of off-topic, but why is that? I mean, I have definitely noticed that, and it particularly it becomes – It really starts applying when you're trying to do anything with photography and you take a photo during the day and your white balance has to be completely different than what it is during the night Mm -hmm. because at night everything's incredibly yellow. I mean, really, whether or not you're using fluorescence or not in comparison, well, fluorescence are kind of pale, but um, in comparison to what you would shoot during the day, everything comes out looking really red or yellow, so you need to really adjust your white balance. Uh, why do we prefer that at night why don't we just feel all super happy that during the night our everything is blue and tinged with white
0: i think a, a lot of it well so our bluer lights are our um Fluorescence tend to be mm-hmm. that cooler light. They head mm-hmm. towards the white end of the spectrum or mm-hmm. the blue end of the spectrum, the Kelvin spectrum, the the lower, and that's 5,000, 6,000 K. Um, as we head down so far, farther south, it's um, the yellows and the reds, right? So sure. down to 2,700, 3,000 Kelvin. Um, those are much um, warmer temperature bulb, right, or color temperature. Right. And so we feel much warmer um and a better atmosphere on those, much more reminiscent to fireplaces, um, mm-hmm. and in general kind of uh, intimate settings, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also part of, um, oh, the rhythm is, it's, okay. it's our natural biological rhythms. The circadian that, rhythm or yeah, is that some other? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. and there's actually, there's a great presentation by um, Nancy Clanton on the, the ACAT.org website okay. that she came up, and she did, she's a lighting expert, she did the... Um, Lighting retrofit on the Empire State Building. Oh, wow. And they've just reduced their energy use by 50%.
1: You're kidding. Um,
0: And so it's a really fantastic project. But she got into lighting efficiency, how we light our spaces, but also about what we're trying to light and how we use that light. Mm -hmm. It's a a big part of why we're trying to reduce our lighting um, of nighttime uh, um, skies.
1: Uh, Right. Right, light pollution. Yeah. Absolutely. And so she, So, how does that apply to our circadian rhythms at certain time of the day? We prefer to, what, calm down and cool off or we want to be closer, more involved. I mean, what is there specific science to this? Yeah, it's basically
0: that, that, um, that daylight bulb, right? Mm-hmm. We want to be able to sleep to go into a bit of a dormant period. Each day. Right. That we need to be able to have that cycle. Right. To recover. And animals have the same thing. And when we put up a lot of exterior lights that blast out really bright white or daylight bulbs Mm -hmm. or some of these metal halides, Mm -hmm. um, it's it's disruptive to the environment around the buildings, too.
1: Interesting. That kind of ties into some of the studies that have been done that have shown that it can be disruptive to a human sleep pattern yeah. if you're reading your iPhone on your laptop right before you go to bed, because we're getting that direct blah, jolt of really bright white light into our eye bulbs, yep. so to speak, and we don't want to go to bed. Part of our brain is getting a signal to stay awake.
0: Yeah. It's and, just like the season's changing right now, right? You right. You want to stay up later, and you need the blackout shades, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I don't. I always want to sleep. But yes, I do. It is true. Though that I feel much happier to be working at 8 p.m. when it's light outside mm-hmm. than when it's dark. When it's dark, I just think to myself that I'm making some very poor choices with my life right now. I should be in bed or, or something. And when it's light, I'm just like, yeah, it's just it's work.
0: It's so cool. we can try a study on on you, and you can when you're sleepy or you want to go to sleep the next time, hold your phone up to your face for a little while and see. if Well, you it's stay interesting. Up
1: so I wondered about that because on the flip, on one side, being the sort of I don't know, skeptic is the right word. A contrarian would probably be a much better word. I was kind of like, well, I uh, I fall asleep, no problem. And I'm basically looking at my iPhone right up until the second I pass out. Not exactly, but, you know, you set your time and your clock, and then you have to check that website really quick, and I'm sure you know exactly how it goes. Uh, and I fall asleep, no problem. But what I did realize is, well, exhaustion may have something to do with that, or maybe I just really <laughs> like sleeping, but part of it may is tied to the fact that I can stay awake in front of a computer basically indefinitely. So if I'm spending an evening without a screen, with a book, or with talking to people, I'm not implying my friends are boring, or just doing something that is not in front of a screen, I will feel really sleepy at about 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. If I'm in front of a computer, I can stay up all night. I can work literally all night long or not work, as the case may be, and surf Wikipedia. And I have to feel that, that, part, that it's tied into it somehow because I could be exhausted and falling asleep, sit down in front of a computer to go to bed and look around and spend 45 minutes later. So that, that is, that's interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm, it's probably
0: part of the you know, casino effect, right? I mean, if you can make a black box with a lot of lights and noise and mm-hmm. activity going on, and not have any connection to outside, and have a lot of air quality or air exchange. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, casinos pump in like six times more air than. a I didn't. I didn't know that. It's it's so that you actually feel like you're. Um, you don't have any sense that you need to get outside.
1: Oh, right. you kidding?
0: A lot of it's tied also to smoking casinos originally, oh, right, right? Right. But that was even more air quality or, or air pumping through a casino. Dang. Right now, it's it's really trying to get you to stay in a room as long as possible.
1: So part of the desire that we have, oh, I just really need to get outdoors, is what, the, the, how fresh our air is? Air quality, yeah. I thought it was some sort of innate, deep desire to be in the outdoors in me. We're <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's probably
1: that, too. Okay, okay, good. So, well, that's, that's fascinating. And so if they pump in, is that just, it doesn't have to be air temperature so much, just how fresh the air is? Usually
0: we're, we're doing more cooling with air. And so it will be a cooler temperature.
1: So if they keep it cool and fresh enough, I'm willing to just gamble my life away. You're
0: going to be staying awake and active. Yep.
1: Wow. So wouldn't that be applicable to work, places of work as well? Shouldn't, yep. So and, and do employers ever think about that? I really need to get a lot of fresh air into the building? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah.
0: And, and actually, most, com- most commercial offices have. You'll notice that if you actually work in a larger commercial office building, there are a lot of spaces within that office that are very cooled. Interesting. Uh, because or cold because you've got cold temperature air blowing onto you. We do temper the air in Alaska, mm-hmm. so we we um, tend to heat it a little bit, so it gets into the sixty-five to mm-hmm. eighty-degree range, so that it's cooled a little bit. But you're still having that air, and air coming across your skin or uh, across your uh, work surface does tend to um, evaporate and cool you.
1: Wow, I did not. Ever have any but also,
0: we need that air exchange. So, for healthy indoor air quality and environmental quality, we need to exchange, get rid of the CO2. Mm-hmm. And then, because you've been in. Uh, I don't know, some kind of engagement hall where they don't have a rooftop unit or a, a mechanical fan unit, mm-hmm. and everybody shows up, and you got got 100 people in there, and everybody's ready to go to sleep in half an hour because Absolutely. it's gotten really stuffy.
1: Well, I didn't realize that's why you wanted to go sleep in half an hour. But, uh, <laughs> it should yes. be the
0: meeting, too. Okay, yeah. well,
1: yes, there's that. But I, I, I had not ever thought about that. That's really interesting. Okay, well, uh, we are going to break in a few short minutes. Before I do, I want to remind people again that you can call in which is a great experience for which you'll feel rewarded and entertained. And you can do that by either texting me at eight four one seven three six eight or at help at outofajam.net or on Facebook, facebook.com slash outofajam. Uh, Jason, before before anything else, one of the things I was going to talk to you about was to get back uh, real quick to light bulbs, and that may not be pertaining to technology quite as much. From And we are back. Jason, thank you so much for being here with us today. We're talking about energy efficiency, how uh, your technology is sucking the power right out of your bill, or rather into your bill. And also, we'd love to talk a little bit about the infrastructure that supports the, the power that we consume. And you had mentioned this earlier, and you said that really the way our energy is delivered to us is extremely inefficient.
0: Sure, I mean, well, kind of like what we were talking about before where we walk in we feel entitled, right? We walk into a space and we feel like we should be able to turn on light switches and have power, right? Mm-hmm. We've we've kind of grown accustomed to that. In order to receive that power, we have larger distribution networks, right? Mm-hmm. We've got the distribution at the uh site of the building, and then we've got off the distribution network, we've got the larger utility producers. So, in, in most cases, you know, even lower 48, most of the utility distribution is fossil fuel based. Right. So you're basically using more or less a combustion engine or a turbine to create and generate um, uh, the electricity. Right. So that can be as low as thirty mm-hmm. percent with coal-fired, or it can be maybe you know fifty-five to sixty-five percent efficient with um, natural gas-fired.
1: So at at this point in time, what are the most energy-efficient ways of producing energy in terms of the energy output we get for the energy input we provide? That's a good
0: question. Um, you know, it, it really it, it, it's much more. Probably say
1: nuclear. I just I know that's going to be the answer. It's nuclear.
0: <laughs> Actually, I, I grew up in a, an area of Connecticut where we had a nuclear power plant and mm-hmm. it was a it was a real difficulty. It ended up being a, um, a very good for the area when it was in production. It kept taxes low, mm-hmm. but um within much a, sh- a much shorter lifespan than what was expected they had to shut the power plant down oh. and it was along the Connecticut River this beautiful scenic area mm-hmm. and basically that area can't be recovered for 50 years you're kidding. and it's wh- been wh- a major well because of the radioactivity within the plant
1: you're kidding
0: I no, I mean, I mean, it's, you're producing enormous <laughs> amounts of electricity, well, right? right? So, and it's coming through radioactivity.
1: Well, yes. I mean, but, it's
0: not, you know, okay, it's okay. An incredible Hulk stuff.
1: Yeah, I, well, and I, I, as much as I'm sure there are incredible Hulk ticks and praying mantises in the area now, part of well, it's in contained, well, right? But we can't break down that containment. I see what you're saying. So, I, I guess I, I. Originally misunderstood and thought you were saying that the area around the plant in general, like, you know, five square mile radius had become Chernobyl. No, it's not like Chernobyl. That. Okay. I okay.
0: didn't grow up in Chernobyl. <laughs> I, do, I do have a few lumps and, you know.
1: Well, there might be a reason you're so much more intelligent than other people. <laughs> right. Or me, particularly. Uh, I grew up in the anti-Chernobyl. There was no power. <laughs> so... um Okay, but, but why? I just and, and on that topic, why did it have to be shut down so much sooner than I expected? I thought, you know, my perception of nuclear power plants has always been that well, it's bad because it produces this waste where we don't we don't know what to do with the waste. We mm-hmm. can't we can't dispose of it without mm-hmm. killing some part of our property. And on the flip side, the next time there's a natural disaster, you're really hosed. Have a nice day. So that uh, to me has well again, been,
0: it depends on where you are.
1: Well, sure, and I guess you know I just. For me, mentally, the thought of having something that if it breaks down in a bad way, I'm just totally doomed is not what I want in my backyard. That's been my basic sort of emotional reaction. But I had always, on the flip side, also assumed that, gee, a nuclear power plant is going to give us power for nine year, nine year, forever.
0: Sure. I mean, well, I mean, it does have much lower emissions while it's producing power, but in mm-hmm. the end, it does have... This waste produced, right? Mm -hmm. And because we are producing energy from any of these sources, we've got some waste put into it, or there's some side effects. I mean, any of these utility production plants are producing an enormous amount of power for long periods of time. So you're potentially running into a, a disaster no matter what type so of So in other party. words,
1: you're saying that you have to shut it down because you've produced more waste than you expected within a given period of time?
0: Or that the plant has kind of come to its life cycle, gotcha. right? That its its um, engines and its containment fields aren't as operational as mm-hmm. they, they were at, uh, when it started.
1: Hmm. Huh. Did... Did not know that.
0: But so based on that, you, you know, you think about our utility structure. It's based around what our available utility or our available energy is in that area. Mm-hmm. So for Alaska, we actually have a lot of natural resources. So we actually have a relatively high percentage of um, hydro Sure. Right, for Alaska, um, we're getting a little bit more wind. Mm-hmm. Right. We actually have a really good solar resource that just isn't tapped, and it's it's could be very expensive to try and tap it on a larger utility scale. Mm-hmm. Right. We're not Arizona necessarily, sure. although we receive as much sunlight as many areas that do have larger photovoltaic arrays. Is
1: there any numbers to indicate that it would actually be efficient or make sense economically? To supplement with solar during the summer months, if not the winter months? Or is the cost still at a point, well, gee, we've invo- invested all this equipment and solar panels or generating energy through through the sun's rays somehow, but basically it, it costs X, and since we can't use it for nine months of the year, it's going to take us five decades payoff, at which point they're no longer useful.
0: It's a really good lead into yeah. where I want to go with the okay. utilities next. Um, so, how much energy are we using during the summer? You're asking me. Yeah, like, uh, are your lights on?
1: Uh, no. A lot less, right? Yeah. Well, basically, yeah, they're not on for me. I mean, just...
0: you try and spend a lot more time outside. Mm-hmm. Your heating loads are, are one of our major um, energy consumptions during in Alaska. Absolutely. Is during the winter. Yeah. For heating.
1: So I can answer that question this way, perhaps that my heating bill and my electric bill plummet. During the summer. right? Ease, not even by more than half. They probably plummet by two-thirds.
0: It more or less goes away. It's basically right. your water heat and a little bit of your... Um, yeah, the
1: heating appliances. bill basically goes away, and the electric bill drops significantly, for yep.
0: sure. Especially with forced air, you've got a fan. Or if you're running a boiler or a baseboard, you've got pumps, mm-hmm. right? So those... Rise up your electricity cost. So one of the things um, with utilities is they still need to provide, they know that the power consumption goes down during the the summer and it's going to rise during the winter, but they need to provide that amount of utility at any given point in time. Mm -hmm. So for commercial residential facilities, um, they have a, basically, they have a track. They know when people are going to come home. There's a really strong overlap in the mornings and in the evenings when people are transitioning between work and home, right? Mm -hmm. So we actually get really high loads between residential and commercial right then. But there's also manufacturing, right? And manufacturing and commercial have these really high electrical loads or natural gas loads. Mm -hmm. The utilities need to be able to provide that full amount of power whenever that manufacturer kicks on that engine. And a lot of these, um, uh, you know, balers, compressors, uh, any kind of large motorized manufacturing equipment has much higher loads, refrigeration equipment. So when these come on, they need to be able to handle those loads and provide that power.
1: So that's really interesting because Paul and I covered a story and I tried to, I just tried to find it but I and I couldn't. But we covered a story where if I remember the Microsoft was suing a city in I think Montana where it had a huge data center. And the reason they were suing the city is because they had contracted with the city to always provide a certain level of power and for it to for their data center. And the city had started to lose Money hand over fist because they weren't making enough from what Microsoft was paying them since it wasn't actually using all of that power, nor was anyone else. Mm -hmm. And they just had to generate it for just in cases. So they started cutting back. Which in turn, Mike says, Microsoft said, "Well, that w- whoops, that wasn't part of our agreement. You have to be at a certain peak load all you the time. You have
0: to be able to provide that. Yeah. yeah, it's what's called demand loads, and so most commercial facilities have demand loads, and they can be for natural gas or for uh, kilowatt, mm-hmm. not kilowatt hours, but any kilowatt load. And so it depends on the utility who's who's providing that, but it can be based on any fifteen-minute peak." in that load um, for any point in that year or for any point in that month or any point in that week. And so that sets up um, a high, much higher rate based on your demand load. And no for, some, for manufacturing facilities, your demand load can be half of your electrical bill.
1: So d- does that mean, do, well, and, and I may have butchered the story, but would that mean that a energy utility needs to be able to output at the drop of a hat that amount of power? They should be able to output all the time? or
0: They need to be able to ramp up immediately for that. Okay. Yeah, And so a lot of the East Coast power outages, right, even some of the ones in California too, are based on What are those, especially when are those happening? Those are happening end of summer, right? Mm -hmm. It's because they have much higher electrical loads for air conditioning. Mm -hmm. Air conditioning uses a ton of electricity, and yet you still have all those commercial loads going. And all of a sudden, you've got everyone at work or in these manufacturing plants, and they're shutting down at 5, 6 o'clock, but it ranges a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Half those people are already home, kicking on their AC to full blast. Right. Right. And so all of a sudden, there's a huge load on the grid morning and evening.
1: Wow, okay. And then you get a brown. And you have you like have
0: that. to have your timing so that the power, you know, different uh, production plants or utilities are able to ramp up in different amount of time. You know, like a uh, gas fired turbine takes a little bit of time to ramp up, but some of the power plants also have secondary generators or um, UPS stations that they can actually provide this power from.
1: So how does this tie into data centers or or how does this tie into the amount of energy that we are drawing as consumers today who use the internet. We use cloud storage. where We are using all of these different cloud services. So places like Google and Microsoft and Apple are building gigantic data centers, just, I mean, really sizes the sizes of little cities. Mm-hmm. And has the amount of engineering that an architectural firm needs to do in that regard risen in the past few years, and would you say that the energy consumption in the United States has gone up as well to meet with that demand? Um, so Does that data, makes any sense? Yeah, yeah,
0: so data centers are, basically, we, if we start taking the analogy of our computer, right, mm-hmm. or our desktop computer that's running all the time, if you've got an office where you have a whole bunch of desktops or laptops plugged into a server, you have a much larger load that's on even more of the time with the server, right? Mm -hmm. Most of our servers are on, uh, you know, 24-7, so that if somebody's working remotely, they can get stuff from the server or if they need to do some kind of uh, backup, right, it happens overnight. Right. So the server is a much higher load. It's usually a thousand watts kind of minimum for a, a single vertical stand. Um, so you've got multiple servers in an office then with a data center that you know a lot of that information is being transferred to a larger data hub or a network hub that retains that information. Mm-hmm. All these things that we're producing or backing up or logging onto the inter- internet are Coming off a server somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. These data all, transfer sites.
1: All of them, and they in turn have backup redundancy servers, and they have they have backup servers to back up your backup server. Hopefully, right? If Two to company. four
0: times the amount of information that we're actually putting on or pulling off the internet is is again doubled or quadrupled, right? Absolutely. Because you've got that backup, and how much information there is actually valid information or things that. Really, is that important? That's a
1: loaded question. You know? Well, think about, like,
0: your email, right? Like, think about all the old junk email. Like, Mm -hmm. that's being stored on a server somewhere, Mm -hmm. and if you had that on your CPU, Mm -hmm. you would probably start to see your CPU slow down a lot. Yeah. And then you'd say, oh, I need a new CPU, right? Right. Or two CPUs. Maybe I need a server. Right. Right? That same amount is sitting on a server somewhere in a data center that's being backed up two times and then another two times that.
1: And so the more we have in terms of cloud email, and the more we choose to store in the cloud and never throw away, theoretically, the more the need grows for always-on-demand servers. And power utilities that are also need to always meet peak demand and so on and so forth. So, But on the flip side, we're also seeing a pretty strong movement on the part of these companies. And I showed you an article earlier about Apple trying to get, what, 75% of their energy from renewable sources... Do you see that on a smaller scale as well? Are people becoming increasingly aware or businesses becoming aware that, A, they suddenly have a a new significant bill from their data needs? I mean, because this didn't exist, what, 20 years ago for most businesses. You had Mm -hmm. power, you had cooling, you had lighting, but you didn't have technology to power necessarily or not on the same scale. Are you seeing an increased awareness on the part of a larger building project, project that, hey, I have a server room or I have a computer room and it's drawing X amount of power?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, very frequently now we are putting in a small server room into even medium-sized office or commercial buildings, right? Absolutely. And so then you're dealing, you don't want to do uh, an air-cooled system, right, where you're doing air-to-air kind of economizer, Mm -hmm. where you're pulling in outside air and directly putting that through a filter into the server room because of the potential for silt and dust, especially out here in the valley. Right.
1: That's true. So
0: you have to do it uh, hydronically. So you've got a very small um, AC Describe unit. Discribe
1: hydronically. What?
0: Um, through coolant. Oh. Uh, through liquid form Can rather you filter, than air.
1: But couldn't you filter the direct air really, really well?
0: So, I mean, think about the silt, right? Like, uh-huh. I mean, it's really tough. It gets through everything. But and how if does that's how getting do into it hydronically
1: it, then? Does it... Does, I mean,
0: it's a heat exchanger. Okay. So it basically, you just like your refrigerator works, mm-hmm. right? You're, it's working in, in very similar fashion to that. It's basically got a cooling coil that it's blowing air past that cooling coil at a relatively low speed. So that, that cooling happens in the room. The heat that's absorbed by that cooling coil, just like underneath your fridge, sure. is being rejected. And so it's being rejected. Okay. Typically, go to like an ice rink or something like that. You're going to see a row of fans, mm-hmm. right? Or go up onto a, a larger commercial so they're rooftop. They're not
1: sucking in air and cooling it as it's coming through. They are actually accomplishing this heat exchange. I had they're always-
0: rejecting heat. That's why the fans are blowing so right. hot and heavy, and they're so warm coming off. So much right. heat coming off those fans. Gotcha. So,
1: huh? I did not. I always thought you sucked in air and cooled it down.
0: So, it, Well, we actually do a lot more for ventilation purposes, mm-hmm. try and use outside air for what's called an economizer cycle so that we don't have to do a refrigerant cycle. Mm-hmm. The refrigerant uses a lot of electricity through the pumps and that heat exchange. Mm-hmm. right? So if we can get outside air that's 60 degrees or 40 degrees, pull it in and use that for our ventilation and cooling, then great. A lot of times when we need our cooling, though, our outside air is 70 degrees, 80 degrees. And it doesn't have that cooling effect.
1: It must be a lot easier to cool buildings in Alaska. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we have yeah. a very, just like uh, the heating amount of uh, heating degree days, we have cooling degree days, and they're very minimal. It's Cooling is really dependent on equipment like servers or computers. And so when we start to look at that with servers and computers in a building, um, it can really drive up our energy use. Um, For a small classroom, you get 30 computers in there. Um, With the way that we design now with energy-efficient lighting or daylighting and ventilation that's based on the requirements for how the space is occupied at any one time, more than 50% of the energy use is for the computers and the server. Dang. So all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense to have that 65-watt computer or laptop go to sleep or turn off.
1: Absolutely, on a scheduled basis.
0: Yeah, and what's, what it's also doing is it's minimizing your cooling. Because say you have a small classroom, you have 30 people, 30 computers, CPUs, or laptops, and a server. All of a sudden, all these people, you know, we're walking to get there. We're, we're producing energy. You know, we've um, eaten, we've taken in energy, we're then putting out energy, and we're basically putting out a lot of heat. You know, just like when you have 100 people over to your house, 30 people over your house for a party, you've got to open the windows even in the middle of winter, Yeah, right? Same deal. In a classroom, you've got 30 people, then 30 computers. All of a sudden, you've got two heat sources that are producing a ton of heat.
1: So you can actually calculate the fact that I have a building that is going to have X number of people at peak hours, and it is going to give me this amount of heat. So to a degree, I mean, can't you even use that to offset, or wouldn't you calculate that and how you're going to generate your heat in the first place? You can't
0: start to look at that. Uh, it, it gets a little bit tricky because it's totally based on that occupancy. Sure. Right? And if we're doing full so if engineering. two of us
1: are in there, we're freezing to death.
0: Yeah. Right. Because we planned that there were going to be 30 people at our party. Since there's only two of us, we should have started a fire
1: instead, right? <laughs> right. That's so. a significant piece of planning. Um, that ties in a little bit with the fact, and we actually haven't hit this very much, but I'd like to at least mention it. I was told a while ago by the people that you are working on a spreadsheet to be able to calculate the, the amount of energy that your home is going to use. Is that correct? And, and how it is going to both produce energy or conserve energy in terms of heating and cooling, correct?
0: Right. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a board member of Alaska Center for Appropriate Technology, and mm-hmm. we've been doing this um, Path to Net Zero Energy Lecture series for three years now.
1: Net zero energy meaning?
0: Net zero energy meaning that your building or uh, your home is producing as much energy as it's using. Mm -hmm. So again, that can be through solar panels. So in other words,
1: that your electric bill is zero?
0: Your electric bill over the course of a year Mm -hmm. is zero. Gotcha. You are producing as much as you're using.
1: I see. So you might still have an electric bill. But in theory, throughout the course of the year, you have also, in other ways, had enough economy to where it's been offset.
0: Right, because you could be producing a lot of electricity through solar during the summer, but then you're going to be using a lot during the winter, mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah, that makes Okay, so path to net zero energy. Is that possible in Alaska?
0: I think so. I mean, it looks like there's, there's, we're, we're really on the, on the cutting edge of this right now, and it appears that there's a few people that are really making this happen. Wow. Um, um, it's a handful, Right now. Sure. But, you know, then again, you know, as lecturing- Are they
1: leading... I'm sorry. I, no, go ahead. Are they leading distinctly... They're, are they leading lives that many would see as compromised by a modern concept? Like, do they have tinfoil over the windows and they're using a bicycle to, to grind the grain? Or, or are they having a relatively normal living experience and managing to achieve net zero energy?
0: So you don't grind, grind your grain with your bicycle? I, of
1: course I do. <laughs> I, <you> know, <laughs> I'm judging the others who don't. <laughs> well, good, good. My 32 uh, inch flat screen TV is powered purely by the energy of my bicycle rage.
0: Right. You we know, are batteries. Right. Yes. No. Actually, that's what's really interesting is that these folks are um, have relatively large homes that they are able to maintain a a relatively normal lifestyle, and you know the thing is that there have been net zero energy homes in Alaska for you know for a ton of years. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of people that are living off the grid, um, and you know even right here in the valley that lead kind of these net zero energy lifestyles um, within. Within their homes. You know, a lot of that, the question then is, okay, how does wood burning tie into net zero energy? Right. right? Are you harvesting as much wood as is being recreated in that same year? Of course. Right. It's, it's kind of a, a careful balance. And we have a, um, a lot of wood available. We do. So it's very easy to lose track of, am I replenishing that source? Sure.
1: Although, also, depending, if you, if you only had to augment with wood, You could probably make a pretty good case for only harvesting fallen or dead timber.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, conservation and energy efficiency first, right? If you can minimize your load, even if it's by lifestyle choices, right, then it's much easier to produce that little bit of energy by wood.
1: So, and as part of all this, and as part of this project, you have produced this uh, somewhat astounding spreadsheet, not even somewhat a completely astounding spreadsheet, because I look at it and it looks more like an application. And not being what I would call an Excel fanboy myself, <laughs> having suffered and cursed at it more than once, um, it, it is amazing to imagine that this was all done within Excel. What, what exactly was the goal? Given that you're a board member of the Center for Appropriate Technologies and given your goals, what was the spreadsheet supposed to accomplish?
0: So we'd been doing this series of lectures that really focused on energy efficiency, uh, high levels of insulation within our homes, air tightening, uh, uh, energy-efficient lighting, lighting, daylighting, energy-efficient heating systems, masonry wood heating, solar thermal heating, solar photovoltaic, um, and uh, grid-tight and off-grid electric systems, right? So all these energy-efficiency categories that were trying to lead us on this path to net zero energy. And... I was getting a lot of questions. We were getting a lot of questions on, well, how does this work for my home? And um, as an architect, I tend to get a lot of those questions. Sure. right? And I just don't have the time or uh, ability to help, help out everyone. He
1: just doesn't care that <laughs> much.
0: <laughs> time or ability. And so I said, well, what would I do if I were having to figure this out? I have all these spreadsheets that I use for different projects. And so I started to compile those for the electrical use, for the heat calcs, for um, occupancy and for insulation levels mm-hmm. and compile those into um a single source uh, basically works works worksheets that then we did a little presentation on it. We talked about it and really found that it needed a, a dashboard, something that was much more accessible right off the, right. the front of the...
1: So um, that my brain can go, ooh, shiny colors.
0: Yeah, yeah you, the, so that you can have a relatively minimal input with a good understanding of energy efficiency, have a relative minimal amount of input, and still have a good picture of how your energy is being used in the home and what it might take to um, replace that energy with renewables.
1: Gotcha. Right, to get wow, there. That's, that's a lot of information off of one spreadsheet. So if I understand correctly, I could plug in the type of insulation I have in my house or how... Well, it's insulated, right? correct? I could plug in what kind of appliances I use and what their loads are. Right. I could plug in what the average mean temperatures are during various months in my area.
0: And actually, so you don't need to plug that in. Oh, really? you, all you need to plug in is what your temperature for your house is going to be.
1: Oh, internally. Yeah. I see. So then you can just calculate how much energy it's going to take. Right. Interesting. And the spreadsheet then gives me a really gorgeous pie chart or bar graph that says exactly what's going on.
0: Yeah, where your energy is being used, whether it's going out through your windows, your floors, your walls, your doors. Um, and then how much of that is actually being produced by passive solar? How much of it's actually already being produced by the sun? Passive solar is the most efficient and uh, cheapest way for us to use solar energy and use energy in general to heat our homes.
1: Can we do passive solar in the winter to any appreciable degree? Or?
0: Not in the butte. <laughs>
1: Not in the shadow of Not Jordan. in the shadow
0: of Pioneer Peak. No. Yeah, it doesn't Not work in so. Mordor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, when uh, January 13 comes around uh-huh. and the sun starts it's to peek out a little bit behind it. So
1: basically, as long as the sun's hitting, even if it's 35 below, we could be making more use of that sun than we probably are. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so this spreadsheet. How long did it take you to make? How long did it take you to make it?
0: A lifetime. for life no. <laughs> it's, it's parts and pieces, <laughs> it's <life's> right? <laughs> and so in the last uh, year, uh, we've been trying to bring it together to be more and more usable. You know, it's still mm-hmm. kind of a, like you were saying, beta testing, trying to see what people might be able to use it for. Right. And it's still an Excel spreadsheet. So, But the real key is if it's a tool that can help folks um, guide themselves along this idea of this net zero energy or even just reducing their energy use. Sure. If you can see impacts of your decisions not in, in more or less real time right mm-hmm. because you can do it in your own home and kind of measure it but if you haven't built that home yet how do you actually measure that impact and having a tool that can kind of show you Absolutely. oh yeah you can save 50% by having a lot more south facing windows
1: yeah oh that's wow, what a great idea you must be an architect why why are fans and pumps such a large part of the pie chart i
0: On this one, it's because of the way that the efficiency of the house is.
1: Okay. So what ends up being the the largest consumption of energy for most people in a standard residence, usually? Heating. Heating. And and I guess I asked that question also from the perspective that we just moved houses, and our previous home was natural gas heat. And it used a small stove that was a central heating source. It was one of those fa wood stoves. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you fire up, you see the flames. It's very cute. And I always assumed that was crazy inefficient. And I actually don't know if it is or not. It was quite nice. Mm-hmm. The heating bill in that place is almost the same as the heating bill in our new place, which is, granted, larger. So, But the natural gas and its forced air. But what I really found interesting is that the electric bill doubled or even tripled during cold months. And I wasn't sure why that was. Why were we spending more on electricity when we definitely don't heat with electricity?
0: Well, you are though, right? Because anytime that furnace is coming on, it's using the fan to circulate that
1: heat. And the fan takes that much power.
0: The fan can take 700 to 1,000 watts.
1: Wow. It's so the a, it's efficiency like a server. Your fan would be a huge consideration in your heating system wouldn't just be okay how much natural gas am I using burning.
0: Right. But if yeah. you can have an efficient fan or like a variable fan drive a fan that can have multiple stages or react to how much So it's heat. not
1: just brah max right. power it's fan. It's not never. on off. Gotcha. Yeah. And can you only up if you wanted to can you only upgrade the fan in your heating system or yep. Do you, really? Yep.
0: Wow, and how much Maybe that? not me or you. Right. I, I would probably <laughs> trash my furnace. So I cannot
1: go home right now with a screwdriver. Don't do it
0: to Gary's furnace. No,
1: <laughs> I'm sure he wouldn't mind. He's into energy efficiency. How much does that usually cost? Is there a ballpark? Is that like so? It a depends major investment? on
0: it depends on the equipment. Yeah.
1: Okay, um, let's. Do you have a ballpark? Because we're about to wrap up. It can be
0: a few hundred dollars, but then it's the install, too. Right. And the install can be half the cost or more.
1: Of course. Those technicians are just, you can't trust them. You can't trust people who come to your house and charge for money. Okay, thank you for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back next week. Jason, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll be back.
0: information as they move through the computer. What did they look like? Ships, motorcycles. Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see.